and Mine Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time, so we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Hey! Yeah. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood Award history. My name is Corey. And my name is Jeff. How is it going, Jeff? It's going better than it was five seconds ago when I had to re restart the core the conversation? Start the conversation. Yeah. It turns out we need to arm the microphones if we're gonna start a podcast. Exactly. Otherwise we're just talking to each other. Otherwise we're all amateur and that's <laughs> what we had to tell our producer over there who did not fucking start the microphones. Yeah. Uh welcome to part two of this uh episode in which we were talking about nineteen eighty one best picture. Yes, we believe that the 1981 Best Picture was done incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So we are going to see which picture w- should have won. Yeah, because, uh, spoiler alert, ordinary people ain't going to be it. <laughs> yeah, Spoil- spoiler alert, ordinary people was a terrible movie. It's it's a, a really weak offering for Best Picture. Exactly. If you look at it now, it looks like an after-school special. It does. It's a very special episode of Dawson's Creek. Exactly. Yeah. No offense to Mary Tyler Moore or Donald Sutherland. Or but Robert that movie, Redford. Yeah, but that movie yeah. was just god-awful. It's Yeah, it's not great, and we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But uh, first, let's go ahead and remind the folks, uh, you know, playing along at home, what the nominees and the alternates are that we picked on part one. And the nominees are... Tess. Ordinary People. Raging Bull. And I don't have the list in front of me again. You never have the list in front of you. Coal Miner's Daughter. The Elephant Man. And coming in as our alternates, mm-hmm. movies that were not nominated but we should think should have been nominated, is The Shining. And Empire Strikes Back. That is Star Wars Episode Five. But back then it was just called The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, come on. Galaxy's Edge is opened at Disneyland. Corey and I are all excited because we went in and saw it. We, we both. So, of course, we're going to be, you know. We both got to drive the Millennium Falcon. We both got to drive it. It's so cool. It's a, it's a, it's a weird experience in yeah, the best way. If you have not gotten over to see Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland, you should probably go over and do that. Uh, yeah, not an ad, but um, <sighs> it's. Yeah, we definitely don't get paid for that. We only get paid by, uh, by, by. Companies like Dick Glue. Yeah, Dick Glue. (laughs) And spoilers now with Dick Glue. Uh, Yeah, Galaxy's Edge is is fantastic, and hopefully that doesn't color our our, uh, our rating of uh, Empire Strikes Back, but, you know, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. You you sharp listeners may notice that we've left a movie off from part one. We are not going to get into Caddyshack as a contender for Academy Awards. Yeah, because back then, and even now, Caddyshack would never have been uh, nominated for an Academy Award. It was it was actually a uh, box office flop back then. Yeah, you know, it, it's become <coughs> a very influential, uh, you know, comedy towards uh, comedies that are made now and whatnot. It influenced a ton of comedians and, and whatnot. And I think it has its rightful place in sort of pop culture history as a movie, but uh, I don't think Miss it... it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Precisely, yeah. Uh, so it's, I don't even know what I was thinking now. Um, 
we're not we're not going to go into it. So uh, apologies to our guest from part one, um, who suggested Caddyshack. Uh, we're not we're not going to get into it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we will we will be suggesting or will we will be talking about um, Empire Strikes Back and The Shining. Yeah. Of course, I think our guest from part one hated The Shining, so. So we'll see how it pans out. Anyway, let's go. Let's go. All right. So we're, we're going to have to run these all through the metric, which we already have. But we need to explain the metric. Yes, we will explain the metric right now. So all of you at home, if you can pull up your Switch the Envelope Best Picture rating system. What this is is a rating system that's a... <laughs> Everybody just has it at the ready, yeah. Everyone has it at the yeah. ready. And if you don't, we are going to put it on our Instagram yeah. one more time so you can play along at home mm-hmm. as you're listening to this. So, Switch the Envelope has a best picture rating system. A movie is given one finger if it is a timeless movie. It is given two fingers if it is a movie with a compelling story. It is given a third finger if the movie has a very good cast. Or if some people say a well cast movie, it was well cast. Yeah. Some, it is given a some fourth, say that, but yeah. <laughs> it is given a fourth finger if the movie holds up to multiple viewings. So this is this means that if you can go back and watch it multiple times um, later on, it gets the fourth finger. If it's a movie you see once and you're like I'm one and done, then it won't get that finger. Mm-hmm. Then the coveted fifth finger, five fingers from us, which probably is for me the most important finger. Yeah, the fifth finger, the thumb. I'm going to say it's the thumb. Sure, it's the thumb. Okay? You get the thumb from us if we feel that we can recommend this movie to an outside party or a second party. We feel that we can recommend this to our switchers. Yes. To somebody else. If we feel like we can recommend a movie, we give it the fifth finger or the thumb. Yes. All of that together means we've given a movie five fingers. If we can say the movie was timeless, compelling, well cast, holds up to multiple viewings, and can be recommended. I think that's probably the best we've ever gone through the, the explaining the metric. <clears throat> I think it's because you let me do it this time. Yeah, and- you know, I'm, I'm terrible <laughs> at it. it. It always just fizzles out. It just falls apart eventually, you know. So um, go ahead and pull that up on the Instagrams and uh, play along at home. Um, yeah, the, I, I, the fifth finger there, the would you recommend the movie, is to me the most important uh, because that's what carries on the sort of legacy of the film, right? You're, you're passing that, not, that word of mouth on, and if enough people you know, get on board and feel the hype of like, oh, people have to see this movie, then that's what kind of uh, cements it as an icon of cinema. And um, to me is the most important factor of whether or not a movie should have won Best Picture. Like, if that's the movie you have to see from that year, then um, I feel like that's what truly makes it the most deserving of being a best picture. Although all of the categories, uh, when you're talking about a best picture, like, is it a good movie? Is it shot? Well, is it have a really good actor? You know, does it have a good story? Um, like all of those marks need to come together, you know, for it to be a best picture. But that most important one for me is like, would you recommend it? You know? Yeah. And of, oftentimes the Academy doesn't care about any of that. No. They just care about, you know, Oh, it's artsy. What, what it, the artsy, what made a bigger statement, uh-huh. whatever. And I think that's why we do this. Yes. And it's why movies like the God awful ordinary people win best picture. It wasn't God awful. I mean, it wasn't great. It told a, a good story of upper middle class white people and dealing with mental privilege. illness in a very bad way, 
but the only way they knew how in 1981. Yeah, it's not it's not great. So now now that you we've brought up ordinary people, let's go ahead and start with ordinary people. All right, uh, and we'll um we'll go ahead and, and uh, give you its score, and then sort of break down where its shortcomings were. Right, uh, ordinary people on our rating metric got two fingers. Two fingers. Okay. Two fingers. Now, for me, I know we gave it two fingers because it really does feel like an after-school special. It does. It does. Um, it, even even from the first couple minutes of it, you feel like an afternoon after-school special. Now, for those of you that don't know, don't know what an after-school special it is, back in the '90s and '80s, there were these these shows that have been after school. <laughs> They usually had strong social messages. Strong social messages. And a lot of teachers would show them in their yeah. classes because they were on ABC or NBC or yeah, don't, one of the C's. Don't use drugs and don't bully and, you know. Yeah. That kid. <laughs> usually there were a kid that did marijuana. Yeah. And then he, he lost control of his life. Oh, he spun out of control. And then it was like a, hey, don't do drugs, kids. Right. Because Johnny over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... Uh, they have a specific tone, and Ordinary People sort of captures that tone. I was waiting the entire time while watching this movie for commercial breaks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. W- uh, this movie fell short on, on a few spots. I mean, the fact that it felt like an after-school special made it seem not timeless at all. It, it feels incredibly dated, especially the themes that they're talking... Like, the theme, the underlying theme of, like, dealing with um, sort of, Mental like illness. Mental illness and suicide and all that kind of stuff is a relevant um it's really relevant now yeah but it's good to look at this as what like this is a cautionary tale of yeah. how not to deal with no, no no it's good to look at it as this is way the way they dealt with it back in 1981 yeah and it's a little ass backwards and um tone deaf yeah you know uh, but let's talk about why we gave it two fingers well we felt like because the subject matter is relevant to now um, and being able to sort of see how they dealt with it, like in, in 1981, um, that the story ultimately is compelling. It is a compelling story. You know, the, the sort of struggles of this family and the, how they, the, the whole family unit falls apart because of the death of the sort of favorite son, right? Um, it just has a... Kind of like in Walk Hard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the Dewey, Dewey Cox and Ordinary People. The Dewey people, Cox story. Very similar storylines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we also felt like the people in the movie were doing a great job trying to convey the story. It's just that the writing was not. Quite it's a well cast movie. It's definitely well cast. Yeah. Uh, other than that, there's no reason for us to recommend this film, and I'm not even happy that I saw it once. So multiple two fingers is out. Two fingers, right? Yeah. So you know, sorry, ordinary people. That may be the lowest score for a winning movie that we've had. Two fingers? If you're keeping statistics at home. Yeah, let us know on Twitter. Two fingers, I think, is the lowest score for an Academy Award winner. Yeah, let, let us know if Ordinary People holds the record now for lowest score for an Academy Award winner. Uh, on Twitter, at Switch Envelope, or on our Instagram, at Switch the Envelope. Yes. Um, all right, so that's Ordinary People with two fingers. Let's move on now to Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I... <clears throat> For all the love, the love that Raging Bull has shown, I don't really get it. I don't get it either. And I know people are going to hate us for that, people that are really into film, but I just don't see it. I'm I'm really into film. 
I'm I'm really into film. I'm a big fan of Martin Scorsese as well. This movie lacked something. For you know me. what though? You can you. Martin Scorsese also did Gangs of New York, so you know. Yeah, but even Gangs of New York, like with its sort of major flaws, uh, that being has Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Cameron Diaz. Yeah. <laughs> um, that story is is real fucking epic. You know, and Daniel Day Lewis is amazing in that movie. Yeah, but okay, take take Liam Neeson and Daniel Day Lewis out of it. Because mm-hmm. that it's, movie, it's fucking far and away. That, that movie's just <laughs> it's a bad god hist- historical drama. That's a god awful movie, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm you saying, know, Martin Scorsese does not is not, not he's not infallible. That's yeah. true. Uh, yeah, Raging Bull for me is a bit of a low point, especially considering you know was it last? You're last saying it's not giving about, you a Raging Bull. It's not. It's not giving you a raging bull. It's uh, giving you a. I'm just. <laughs> it's semi bull. I got a semi bull. You got a semi bull. I got a semi bull. It's not raging. It's just semi. Definitely not raging. You know. Uh, yeah. This this movie, unlike what a lot we, of his. Wait. What did we give it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. It it got a, a score of three. So better than ordinary people, but yeah. still like there's something just not. So we gave it a three out of five fingers, which is respectable, but you know. Uh, what do we give the three fingers for? Well, it it got a timeless nod because. It is, I mean, it's a period piece, so that has always kind of got a soft, uh, f- you know, finger rating. Uh, anytime, soft a, so- a soft finger. <laughs> Just the way yeah. you said it was funny. I don't have a raging bull, I have a semi-bull <laughs> and a soft, soft finger. Soft finger rating. <laughs> <laughs> always gets a soft finger. Yeah, um, because, you know, when you're portraying a, a, a specific period, you, like, there's a lot more attention. And you, if you're always, if you're actually into, into boxing that, history... Yeah. If you're into boxing history and this is a this is a uh, this is a biography sure. of an actual boxer, you know, unlike Rocky, which is actually a better movie. Rock, Rock, like Rocky's not about even though he stole the story from an actual boxer, it's not about right. an actual boxer. It's not it's uh inspired by a true story, not based yeah. on a true story. And this is based yeah. on a true story. Yeah. So you can say it's timeless because if you are into boxing history and you want to go back and actually see the story, um then, you know, it's it's timeless. Yeah, it, it's it's weird though because Martin Scorsese focused on just how much of a fucking asshole this guy was, and not so much his journey through boxing. Every bit of boxing in this movie uh, is like, or I should say, like ninety percent of the boxing in this movie is shot through quick montage. Because the whole point of this movie is how this guy was in his own way. Yeah, but, but that's the point of it. It's like he's he's in his own way. He couldn't get out of his own way. Sure. the The way the, that those movies. Uh, work ultimately is when somebody can't get out of their own way but then has a something redeeming about them that makes you like want them to just stop and figure your shit out Jake LaMotta never figures his shit out he just becomes a depressing character like but he doesn't ever like there's no there's nothing to redeem how much of an asshole he is in this entire movie. This movie, to me, felt a lot like Phantom Thread, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie from a few few years back, where it's a guy who's in some sort of status um, position because of his talent, but he's a complete asshole that never learns anything throughout the course of the movie and destroys you know, people along the way and leaves people in his wake, but there's no... There's no arc to the story. It's that it just plows right through, just like the character. And I, I don't find that compelling. And that's where we kind of were split. 
uh, here is I, I didn't find this movie compelling at all. It's just, you know, Robert De Niro doing a fine job being the sort of, you know, the Bronx bullet here, but not not enough to carry the story to where I cared at all by the end of it. You know? Yeah, I can see that. Um, but, you know, Jeff's got a soft spot for boxing movies. So No, I don't. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for Westerns. I'll watch yeah. shitty Westerns, and at the end of it, it'll be like, that eh, was a very that good movie, very but it was still yeah. a Western. Yeah. At the end I'm, of it, it's still a Western. By the yeah. way, we still need to do worst and best westerns oh yeah that's a that might be a list that's coming up top 20 westerns of all time best or worst because there's some there's some not to get off a tangent here (laughs) but (laughs) hollywood has such a bad reputation reputation for just doing i don't know why but they will do they will do just bad westerns Mm -hmm. i don't know why it's so hard to do good westerns there's so many out there that are bad yeah there's one on netflix right now it's called like Big Kill. Oh God, it looks terrible. I watched five minutes of it, and I was like, "Wow, this this is just terrible." So yeah, instead Danny of Danny Trejo's in it, <laughs> instead of having a trailer, it just shows a scene. You yeah, know, some, yeah, sometimes that, yeah. Uh, it, it does that. I saw the scene, and I was like, "Whoa, no!" <laughs> like, yeah, there's it's... no way I'm gonna try to sit through however much else there is of this shit. Like it just, oh, it was so bad. But there's nothing in between. There's either Super good movies mm-hmm. like The Hateful Eight mm-hmm. or Django Unchained. Right. Both by the same guy. Both Quentin Tarantino Westerns. Unforgiven. Uh-huh. Okay. These are all by these are all just fantastic the Westerns. Quick and the dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then the rest of them are just awful. Like not even watchable. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's like hardly any that are young guns, you know, like like right in the right in the middle. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say Young Guns is is uh, you know? definitely like middle of the line, where like it's an incredibly dated looking western. <laughs> but it's like, well, yeah, they have they have eighties, they have eighties, eighties hair bands are doing the, the theme songs yeah. to that. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's fucking Bon Jovi all over the place, and it it totally feels like a music video. But I think the only thing that can't comes fun. close is American Outlaws, the one with uh, Colin Farrell and Scott Kahn. Mm. They do the Jesse James story. Sure, and. That's pretty close to being a not that that's pretty close to being middle of the road, but it's eh, leaning towards the bad. Yeah. But that's that's pretty that's that's an okay one. That's middle of the road. But everything else is just bad or really good. Yeah. Yeah. Strike that, reverse it. A couple that are really good and the rest is just bad. bad. All right. Uh raging bulls. So we gave it three fingers. Three fingers total. So with three fingers, it's around the driving Miss Davy Daisy status. Uh-huh. It's close. So if you're on a weekend and you want to see either Driving Miss Daisy or you want to see Raging Bull, then go ahead and see Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) (laughs) Treat yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Treat yourself to a fun time at the movies. (laughs) Yeah. And don't watch either one. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) All right. Moving on to the the Coal Miner's Daughter or Coal Miner's Daughter? I think it's the Coal Miner's Daughter. The Coal Miner's Daughter, which is a movie based on a song based on the life of of Loretta Lynn. Lynn. Portrayed in this movie by Sissy Spacek. Yep. Carrie herself, right? Yep, she does not get blood dropped on no. her on this movie. Uh, this particular Sissy Spacek, unlike the one in Carrie, you can fuck with her. <laughs> People do throughout this movie. And, and she gets beaten up a lot by yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, who is a blonde in this movie. Right. <laughs> it's only slightly off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> it's very off-putting. For a little while, I didn't realize it was Tommy Lee Jones, actually. Yeah, you know. He's all um, a farmer boy with, like, 
like overalls and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you know she skyrockets to stardom, and it's kind of um. Sure, he's responsible. No, I mean it's kind of like um, what's the movie that just came out with Bradley Cooper, the fourth oh, Star, remake, Stars Born. It's kind of a Stars Born. It's like, but like, but he wasn't a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like the it's yeah. kind of that without it being the star and it not being the fourth remake. And it's a it's a common theme. I think that's why they continue to make a Star is Born because, like, you know, having to exist in somebody's shadow when they rise. The to man s- existing in a woman's shadow. Yeah. Uh, well, is the yes. theme in a country music world. In a very misogynistic music world, which is, is what this music. is about. Yeah. Um, that, and him not being able to deal with it. That is a a common theme. Yeah, trying to sort of uh, acquiesce your masculinity, if that's really what you know. Uh, is is going on, you know, like the, holding this, her purse. This sort of uh, yeah, at the at the grand old opera, right? The the feeling of being emasculated, which is complete bullshit. But you know, there's y'all don't feel a, y'all don't feel emasculated by your woman. No, not at all. No. So uh, what do we give this movie here? Uh, this movie got four fingers. Four fingers. It's a very strong score for the coal miner's daughter. Now, interestingly enough, Jeff and I both despise country music <laughs> I don't despise it I despise country music I do not like most new country music <laughs> I like the what was that okay give me the, give me the give me the artist I like because he did the girl sessions what was that guy? oh the uh, Zach Brown Zach band. Brown band I do like Zach Brown band okay. and but I like specifically the stuff that he did with Dave girl <laughs> specifically some, and oddly enough I really like Dolly Parton okay so th- this uh this is where <clears throat> Where I get a little bit uh, gray area with my my love hate for certain country, uh, yes, I agree. New new country, I'm I'm totally not interested. It it's lacks a whole bunch of substance. All they talk about is like the same four things in every fucking song. It's about like a boy and a beer and a girl and a truck and going in the back roads. And all of those are in whiskey. the new Nas a- little Nas X song. So, yeah. yeah, also a horse because he's yeah. riding his horse into yeah. town or whatever. Gonna ride my horse. Yeah. Uh, the, the take on that song though is a little bit refreshing, but it still lacks the same sort of substance that country music used to have, where it was about storytelling and a heartbreak and the old joke that like when you run a country song backwards, you get your dog back, your wife back, your kids back, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like that also comes, first of all, what people don't recognize, don't like to acknowledge is that all that comes from rock music, man. All sure. those people are rock musicians. Yeah, it's old. Uh, yeah, like Johnny Cash era rock and roll and country music were there the was bl- blurred, dude, blurred the... lines between sort of those genres. Absolutely, and yeah. I think that's why I respond better and to I love Johnny that Cash. era. Love Johnny Cash. I do too. You know that that old country and western music um, that had a uh, a bit of like this raw emotion poured out through. Um, but essentially, Blake Shelton. Come on, man. Well, it was, it was essentially like folk songs, right? Yeah. Um, with a twang. <laughs> well, no, the twang came because of where the people were from. No, no, no. I was going to say, it's, it it's, couldn't, it's couldn't folk, help the twang. I it's think folk the, with a twang. Yeah. That's what bugs me now is that the twang comes. I mean, Keith Urban is from Australia or whatever, and he sings with a twang. Yeah, I'm, I don't really Hello? like his fake uh, affected Nashville People sang accent. with a twang before because that's where they're from. Like, you can't affect it. I mean, you can't. It was, help yeah, it. it was natural. But they, they also sang with, like, it was unbridled. To a certain extent, That's what I'm now it's, it's authentic. manufactured. Authentic, yeah, yeah. There was an authenticity to it, and I can respect that. And Dolly Parton, someone from L.A. singing country shouldn't be singing with a 
with a country twang. No, because then it feels forced and yeah, inauthentic. Yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a genuine um, expression of you know their 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 sort of artistry, right? It, it's a manufactured pop uh, genre at that point, and I think that's where I lose a lot of respect for but modern country. Aside from all this, you going to stagecoach this year? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, I'll yeah, see yeah. you there. All right, I'll, I'll I'll wear my pair of boots that I only wear that one weekend. All right, cool. I'll do like <laughs> we both. We'll, we'll, my assless okay. chaps. All right, moving on. Let's go. The <laughs> uh, coal miner's daughter got uh, very high uh, marks. So once, what didn't we? What didn't we? Once get across it? the board, where we failed to give it a finger, both of us agreed that uh, you really only need to see this movie once. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like this movie. I think it's the themes are kind of been done these these themes have been done before and i think that after you've seen it once uh you can either see other movies like it sure. i think a star is born all the versions mm-hmm. uh can be seen i think you don't need to see this more than one time you don't need to see it more than once but we do uh say that we would recommend you watching this particular movie sissy spacek is is really phenomenal as loretta lynn and uh one of the shining moments for me is uh, beverly d'angelo as patsy klein uh who is her idol in the movie and then she ends up meeting her after um, uh, playing the Grand Ole Opry, or she like she hears her on the radio, and she dedicates a song to her because she's sick, and then um, she ends up meeting her. And um, Beverly D'Angelo, uh, I've said this before, like uh, Madeline Kahn. Anytime I see a movie where they just show up, I'm like, oh, we're oh, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> we're we're in we're in for for a good performance. We're in for a, a good time. I like both those actresses a lot. That's why you gotta. That's why you got to um, respect Al Pacino. Mm. He was with Beverly Beverly D'Angelo like for how many years? Right, just kept her on the side. It was his side, his side piece. <laughs> Never married her. She always had her at award shows because when she shows up, ah, it's gonna be a good time. <laughs> so, are we done with this? With, uh, with coal miner's daughter? Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. Four four fingers okay. for coal miner's daughter. Four fingers. Okay. Uh, next on our list is Tess, a Roman Polanski film. So we have decided to, um abstain from rating this film due to him being in France, <laughs> still fleeing from a rape charge from what year? 1977? 1977, I think. Okay. So we're going to abstain from this because, uh, you know, we're woke. Yeah, so he he rapes a girl and then makes a movie where a girl gets raped. Hard pass, Tess gets zero fingers. Moving on. Yep. <laughs> Uh, to The Elephant Man. Elephant Man, David Lynch. David Lynch, I like this movie a lot, actually. David Lynch is one of the, um... Weirdest? <laughs> weirdest directors in Hollywood, I think. He is very odd. He, you might know him by, um... Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, definitely. Laura Palmer. Yeah. Yeah, you also what might know him by Lost, Ho- Lost Highway or Blue Velvet. Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Weird-ass movie. Some very weird movies that he's done. Eraserhead. Eraser, I don't know anybody, anybody know Eraserhead, but uh, that's like uh, if if you went to film school, you saw Eraserhead, but then you know Blue Velvet definitely. I think a lot of people yeah. know he doesn't have a lot of mainstream hits. No, no, but they're, they're always there's always an interesting sort of tilt to uh, the worlds that he that he um, creates. You know, there, there's a um, to borrow a phrase from sort of film school, like everything to him or from him sort of feels like it's on a Dutch angle. Everything's just kind of skewed from a sort of storytelling or world um, view, uh, which works most of the time. Sometimes it's uh, a little too weird. Like Mulholland Drive for me, like 
it's rolling along in a sort of weird way, and then it completely just falls on its side. Yeah. For me. Um, he also puts Kyle McLaughlin in everything he does. Yeah, but Kyle McLaughlin's like his dude. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think, honestly, Kyle McLaughlin, who's not in the well, Ultimate Man. Let's put, before let's he, put it he out there. Kyle, let's put it out there who Kyle McLaughlin is. So Kyle McLaughlin. He's the guy that's in all the David Lynch movies. Yes, he is. <laughs> but uh, if you've seen Twin Peaks, he is the guy who plays the FBI agent. Uh-huh. Um, Kyle McLaughlin, though, I think for for David Lynch, uh, sort of meets that sort of good B movie actor aesthetic that keeps the sort of punk rock quality of David Lynch's movies uh, sound. I think that's why he keeps going back to him. You know where I caught my <laughs> the funniest part of Kyle McLaughlin was what his his stint on How I Met Your Mother. He played mm. the captain. That's right, he did play the captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably the more mainstream thing than Agents uh, of Shield. <laughs> He was also on Desperate Housewives. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I don't know if any of, the, any of the wives out there or any of the moms out there that are listening. He was on Desperate Housewives. Mm. He played one of the husbands. No, oh, just one of them. One of them. Who is he married to Terry Hatcher? Or Ava Mendez? Actually, I think he was married to... I don't the know, redhead. I don't know what her name no, is. No. Yes. Mm. He was. He was her first husband, I think, and then he, he was killed off the show. Oh. Surprise. Um... Yeah, so, the Elephant Man here is, uh, I believe, the sophomore outing for David Lynch. It's a uh, for a film nerd like like me. I completely appreciate what he was going after with this film. Yeah. So so what 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 did we give it? What was the score? Uh, ultimately, it got uh, three fingers. So same as Raging Bull. So what positive things did we give it? What do we give it on? Uh, well, why did we give it three fingers? Well, we agreed that it was compelling. And that it was well cast. John Hurt is fantastic as um, uh, for Merrick. Okay. How was jo- Bruce Willis Joseph in the film? Joseph Merrick. Huh? How was Bruce Willis in the film? <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> what about <laughs> Meredith Baxter Burney? How was she? Neither in of those people appear. Uh, no, I think okay. Anne Bancroft is in this movie, which is, mm, which is fun. What uh, about? Anthony Hopkins is in this movie. Okay. He's got a beard, which is fun. Uh, he plays a doctor that sort of you know brings in um, the elephant man and uh, cares for him. What about Beverly D'Angelo? How was she's she in not it? in this movie? No, unfortunately, she's not naked in this movie. No. Okay. Um, this movie has an incredible sense of humanity for being on the surface a monster movie, and so we both felt that it was very compelling. You know, this uh, this movie uh, is an incredibly emotionally wrenching movie. Um, even what about when Chevy Chase falls <laughs> through the movie, he does. He doesn't. Oh no. Movie, okay. No, no. Not in the sequel, he does. It's not okay. That's Elephant Man Two, Electric Boogaloo, Revenge not, of the Trunk. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so we we found it very very compelling. You know, when um, you know this guy has this tortured life, you you really start to sort of feel for the monster in this monster movie. You know, and um, really humanize David Lynch. Then does is it a, really a monster movie? We'll see that. That's or the thing. are you calling it a monster movie because of the who really is the monster? Exactly, the monster is society. For, so it's you know, kind of like to, Frankenstein. Kind of, it's it's mm. a little bit like Carrie in in a, in a way too, where like you're on the side of what would presumably be the villain of these stories traditionally, um, because of the hardships that they've had to endure. Um, the makeup effects in this are are incredible. So we we agreed on uh, cast and that it was a compelling story. We were split on it being timeless. Jeff didn't feel that. This was timeless. Why? I don't. Think why it's didn't you feel movie. it was timeless? Because I don't 
think it's I think that when you watch a David Lynch film, mm. you expect that it's gonna be a little weird, but I think this <laughs> one's a little um it's too it's art too house. weird to be <laughs> it's too weird to be for a general audience to even be interested in it. I see what you're saying. I the film like the film student nerd in me um, appreciates the director what like he David. was doing, but I can understand where people would see this and be like, "The fuck is this?" Because certain critics, I think we kind of encompass a critic, a critique of movies. We're, we're not critics. We're not critics. We just play some on podcasts. On podcasts, but the if I was going to pretend to be a critic, I would say that a true critic. If I was going to listen to a critic, I would think a critic should not be the one who's going to be telling you what movies are awesome because of all the really cool like shit they did inside the minute. Like, blah, blah, blah. like I want to know what, if a movie's going to entertain me. Right. If I'm going to be able to sit down and watch a movie and if I'm, if I'm going to be entertained by it. Sure. Elephant Man is not a fucking man. It's not entertaining. Uh, I mean... It's I was... entertaining if I'm looking for it to be entertaining because I'm looking for an art piece. Sure, yeah, as as a sort of art piece, I, I was more engaged in it, I'm sure, because for I'm the general, a nerd that way. <laughs> yeah, for the general population, it's a bit it slow. is not an it's not an entertaining movie. Yeah, it's it's really dark too. A lot of people have issue with um like the lighting in this movie and and how uh overly saturated in black that this movie is. Yeah, when it gets um, when he when David Lynch does some other movies, you're like, wow, these are entertaining movies. I mean, even though they're sure. flipped on their side, they they they're um, mind bending, but they're still entertaining. Yeah, this one's mind bending, but not entertaining. Well, it's not even that mind bending compared to a lot of his other stuff, too. You know, like this is a pretty straightforward. Yeah, but some of his mind bending stuff gets too mind bending, and does. it gets to the point where you're like, that was just stupid. For for David Lynch, this is a pretty straightforward. I actually don't um, think David story. Lynch ever found. Th- there's no movie of David Lynch's that I actually think has a happy medium <laughs> where he just found that sweet spot yeah i don't think any, if you look through all of his movies none of them are just like wow that was just that was his that was his pinnacle of a movie uh, maybe all blue velvet comes close it. no blue velvet if you, it's a weird movie it is a weird movie yeah it's a weird movie where you're like why did he put that scene in there it doesn't make sense yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you're like well that, 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 that didn't have to be there like a lot of his movies just don't have good yeah it just doesn't make sense all right um, so we were split on Timeless. Uh, neither of us felt like we really needed to see it again. You see it once; it's good enough for that one view to stay with you. You don't really need to like put it on every year. You know, kind of a kind of a movie. And we Except were at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good feel. It's good. a good elephantitis type of Christmas. <coughs> and uh, we were split on whether or not we recommend this film. Jeff uh, doesn't feel like. You really need to see this film. No, if I was gonna re- if I was gonna recommend a film of David Lynch, there's several other movies I would recommend. Sure, for David Lynch, I would recommend this film uh, from a film nerd. If perspective. If I was coming from a film nerd perspective, that I was gonna f- recommend a film uh, to see as a film student, I still wouldn't recommend this film. All right, uh, that's valid. <laughs> that hurts me to my core, but it's valid. All right. Uh, that concludes our nominees. <clears throat> right now, in the lead of just our nominees, if we didn't have any alternates, Coal Miner's Daughter would be taking the Oscar. Uh, but we have two more movies to go over uh, to see if Coal Miner's Daughter can, can hold on to the title of new Oscar winner 
or if it's going to go to The Shining or Empire Strikes Back. And judging by how much I know we love both of these movies, it's in for a run. <laughs> well, actually, one of these movies I like more than the other. I uh, actually don't really like one of these movies, but I had to oh. give it... I was impartial. You were impartial. I got it. Yeah. Okay. I don't really like The Shining all that much. Oh, okay. I mean, because I was impartial, and I judged it like a juror. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I was an impartial juror. All right. Well, let's go through it. Let's go all through right. the whole metric. So, so The Shining, let's start with that one. The uh, Stanley Kubrick classic. Kubrick or Kubrick? 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 Kubrick. Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba. Uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall and that little kid. And the two little ghost twins. Yeah, those fucking creepy little girls and the bathtub lady. Ugh. So many iconic things from this movie that have been... Uh, and the picture that he winds up in in, in the end. Ugh. Red yeah. Red, 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 um, the maze. It's crazy. Uh, this movie left a, a strong impact on me as a, as a young child. <laughs> I... Uh, I was silently terrified of elevators for a good good part of my youth. Yep, <laughs> because of this fucking movie. Okay, so is this movie timeless? Uh, yes. Um, we said that it is compelling. Yes, it is absolutely compelling. Compelling. Uh, the disintegration of Jack falling into his work <laughs> slash being lured to the dark side by a band of partying ghosts. Uh, makes Jack a very bad boy, and it is uh, it is a completely compelling ride. Uh, that and all of the fun things that happened to his his family along the way. <laughs> well, and this is also a very As the hotel comes to life. <laughs> this is a very um, similar, very similar theme for Stanley Kubrick. He does this in most of his movies. The dissension into madness mm-hmm. is something he really likes to explore. He does it. Every time you watch one of his films, there's some character throughout the film that is descending into madness. Right. And he loves to show it, and he's really good at showing it. Uh, I agree. And true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We feel like this movie is well cast. But do you think it holds up to multiple viewings? Absolutely. I've seen this movie multiple times. I think there's many people that do, so I'm going to say yes, it does. It, um, it, It captures the same essence every time I see it. Yeah, so I'm going to say yes, you know. it holds up to multiple viewings. And Does, would you recommend? Yeah, I would. If somebody, if I had met someone who said I, they haven't seen The Shining, I'd be like, what? I would probably fall off my chair. How yeah. can you? Yeah, that's... Like, really? Go see it. Love it or hate it. Like, you need to I was like, say you have that to you've say, seen yeah, it. You have to see it once. Yes, at so least. I, yeah. So that's how it got... Five fingers. It got perfect the score. perfect score from us, which we've only given out, I think, once. Mm, I think we've done it twice now. Twice? Yeah. I don't think, know, it doesn't I matter. Think, I think we've done it twice. Um, those, you know, it won't be so coveted if we keep giving out f- per- perfect I know, scores. I know. We're going to have to add a f- sixth finger. It's not going to be special. No six fingers. <laughs> How about one toe? <laughs> we'll give it five fingers and a raging bull. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's... You know, sorry, coal miner's daughter, <laughs> but right now The Shining is in uh, is in the the leader seat. Okay, let's go to Empire Strikes Back, and I gotta say, Corey and I are kind of big Star Wars fans. So. We are pretty nerdy, uh, not Uber fans the way that some are with Star Wars, but we're. I actually we're pretty, am pretty good. Uber fans of the first three movies, meaning four, five, and six. Well, that's so. What, that's what I'm saying, like the Uber 
nerd that knows what all the little gadgets are and loves every single one of them, prequels included, like that's a whole nother level. Oh yeah. You know? We're not Josh. Josh <laughs> out there. Just calling out Josh specifically. Josh, you know who you, you know are. You know who you are, dude. <laughs> if you're listening, and you better be, and you're we we're talking to you. Yeah. Specifically. Who could take apart a TIE fighter and put it back together. All right. All right. So uh, last chance to knock off The Shining, which begrudgingly got five fingers. Yeah. Which is, I think it's a contested five fingers for it's The kind Shining. Of a, it's kind of an asterisk tide fan. It is. Uh, but five fingers nonetheless. It qualifies for a finger for all of the categories, yes. uh, even though it left one reviewer a little sour. <clears throat> Okay, you know. it's more of a, it's more of a, uh, you know, lukewarm five. <laughs> yes, it's. I was gonna say it's, it's not really a fast five. It's a, it's a slow five. All right, let's go over Empire. All right, The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, second installment in the first Star Wars trilogy. Now it is considered Episode Five. It is. It's celebrating its fortieth uh, <sighs> anniversary next year, which is uh, is ex- exciting. What's weird about it being only the 40th anniversary, I feel like that's a lower number than I expected. Mostly because people are insane about this franchise. It just feels like the Star Wars movies have been around for forever. Because they've been around your entire life. Well, my entire life, yes. But uh, because they they just predate me, my like uh, like cognitive... Uh, what What is it? Like... Uh, yeah, but re- you got to rem- remember that I remember when everybody was thinking there was no more. Sure. I remember the time when it was Star Wars is done. Yes. But I, I'm saying that, um, th- like, the last movie came out the year I was born, and I was born at the end of that year. So I don't have a connection to, when I think about the Star Wars movies, I think of them all as happening in the 70s. Not late 70s trickling into the 80s, you know? So I always feel like they're a lot older than they are, you know? That's weird. I don't think of them being 70s. Well, I mean, 77 was the No, I know the that they came out, but I don't think of them being 70s. Hmm. Anyway, Empire. Um, yes, Empire Strikes Back. Is it timeless? Of course. How can you not say that the Empire Strikes Back is, ti- is, t- is timeless, right? It's become such a staple in our, like... Like Star Wars in general has become such a staple in like everybody's day to day. Well, what people vernacular. don't really under—I don't think a lot of people of the younger generations understand—is that most of the terminology, most of the things we associate with Star Wars, all come from Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, there's a lot of very iconic moments that happen in Empire Strikes. Most Back. of the iconic moments come from Empire Strikes Back. Right. They don't come from the, the original. Yoda comes from the Empire Strikes Yoda Back. Yoda comes from Empire Strikes Back. There's just a lot of I love you, things. I know comes from this movie. Yeah. You know. Uh, Nerf Herder, I think, comes from this this particular uh, movie. I can't remember. I think I think she calls him that on, on Hoth. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's timeless. The... I defy anybody to argue that this movie is is uh, timeless, uh, but go ahead and try it at Switch Envelope. The solo it. movie that just came out, all that was based on all the everything that happened in Empire Strikes Back. Sure. Is it compelling? Well, yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the it's the middle section of the saga, and people 
like Star Wars is this, this sort of weird like Empire Strikes Back for for me um because it's a bridge movie feels a little bit incomplete. You know what though? I'm actually Oh, fu- we forgot the most iconic thing that happens in the fucking movie. The fucking No, I am your father. <laughs> he finds out that Darth Vader is his father Spoiler in Spoiler alert. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Finds he out, finds in, out this movie, in this movie that it, that iconic line that everybody misquotes is from this movie. Yeah, you know where they're <laughs> quoting it from, right? Empire Tommy Surfing. Boy. Oh, does he say oh, that comes from la, Tommy la, Boy? La la Luke when he's speaking into the fan. Yeah, that comes from everyone's quoting Tommy Boy, That's and they hilarious. think they're to- think they're quoting Star Wars. That's hilarious. It is. It, it is kind of all started with Tommy Boy. Yeah, Luke, I am your, your father. father. That comes from Tommy Lilo, Boy. It doesn't come from. La, Lilo. <laughs> that's hilarious. I never even put that together. Yeah, that's so funny. Uh, but yes, you just often, gotta watch as many movies as I have. <laughs> I've seen all of the, all of those movies. Uh, yeah, that's that's funny. I n- I never even put those that together. Yeah. That it's probably because of Chris Farley that everybody now misquotes <laughs> that particular line. Interesting. Uh, it's it's compelling though. I mean that bombshell alone. Okay, well let me ask you a question. The finding out that Darth Vader is Luke's father is compelling enough. This could help us because if you really think of Empire, there's not a lot that happens. I've always thought that that's one of the more boring movies. There's a tremendous uh, fight, a battle on Hoth. It's not a tremendous battle. It's there's a small battle, and then he gets it's stranded. It's pretty tremendous. And then he has to live inside of some guts. He does so but, in a tauntaun. But I will what's say, the, uh, what's the average temperature of the inside of a tauntaun? I don't know. Lukewarm. Dad jokes. We need the dad joke <laughs> alarm. All right. But what I was trying to say is, do you think Empire is more compelling than The Shining? Empire more compelling? Uh, I think. Hmm. If the st- is the story of Empire more compelling than The Shining, or? Miner's daughter because I would say absolutely not the coal miner's daughter and the shining are more compelling than Empire so I would say as a standalone movie you're probably right but in the context of the saga no we're not talking about the saga. I know I know that that's we're where, talking about one movie that's where one it, gets, year. it gets tough to judge this a Star Wars movie we're in, doing in what categories. the Academy what the Academy voters did that year did the movie was the com- movie compelling enough that I wanted to see how it ended in the third one? Absolutely. Was uh was the world building that they expanded on in that movie? But the only thing that ended uh, enriching to the experience of Star Wars to continue from A New Hope? Absolutely. This movie as a standalone not that compelling. Because when I look at the other films that were up this year. It is not more compelling than Shining, and it is not more compelling than Coal Miner's Daughter. I mean, it's more compelling than Ordinary People. Definitely than, old, than Ordinary People. I would say that the most compelling movie for me on this list is The Elephant Man, but, you know, with The Coal Miner's Daughter probably... Well, then actually, no, it is not more compelling than Elephant Man either. No. I mean, the, the Elephant Man is a completely tragic story that, Yeah. you know... Uh, you cannot it's, compare... You cannot its compare, strongest point is that it's compelling. You cannot compare Empire Strikes Back to Elephant Man as far as... Compelling, but we're gonna try. <laughs> okay, go next. next All right, so ha- half a finger. Uh, well cast. Perfect example is recently, Lana Del Rey is doing the song "Doing Time" by Sublime. Mm. She just started covering that sure. song, and 
she's doing it just slow and jazzy. I hate that song. It's the only song I hate by Sublime. <laughs> right. But him not doing it, Bradley Noel not singing that song, it makes me want to go listen to a song that I can't stand by Sublime just to hear his voice singing it. Right. Because Lana Del Rey singing it just sounds weird. It doesn't sound right. It's not right. It's not right. Yeah, see, I feel very, very much that way about the people in Star Wars. <coughs> in in Star Wars. Um, there's something about them in those roles that feels right for Star Wars. Carrie Fisher and almost everything else that I've seen her in, I just am not not with her. You really? Know? The Burbs? She yeah. watched her in The Burbs. It's great. It, it just, Carrie Fisher doesn't really do it for me. Ah, she watched as, her in The Burbs with as Tom an, Hanks. As an actress as, as a whole. I might watch know? that tonight. But her as Princess Leia, I feel, is perfect. You know, like there's this weird moment in sort of all of their careers where they just all landed exactly where they were supposed to be. Yeah, and it was in L.A. in the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I think they were in London, though. Like they, I think that was they, only London recently. I thought they filmed the whole thing in... Oh, maybe they didn't. I thought they filmed it in the U.K. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe that's how they got all the British actors to do all the really important stuff while the Americans did all the, you know, right. younger jobs. <laughs> Uh, so we, you want to keep your your point for casting, or no? I think the casting sucked. I think they could have gotten probably got better actors, but they didn't have enough money. So you're saying no? I'm saying half finger, half a finger. So even though that it, oh, even though it's a sequel, and a casting change to better actors would completely change the franchise. <laughs> but there were other characters they put in there, like Miss Piggy doing Yoda. <laughs> That's true. Miss Piggy does Yoda. voice Yoda. That's true. Okay, I mean, you know. And then they got Billy D. Williams to do the fucking guy Mando in the clouds. Mando Calrissian's great. No. He's great. Billy D. Williams is not. He's like, hey, so, uh, hey, baby. It's like, come on. He's they could have gotten great. someone else to do Lando Calrissian. All right, well, you're wrong. You're, com- you're coming down hard on Star Wars for a fan. I am. But I don't. I don't know why. Like I all don't the know things that people adore. Why did Why well, did Billy D. Williams get cast as Car- Lando Calrissian? As Lando, I don't get it. He's great. He was too smooth. He, he really pulls off a cape. He's supposed to be a guy who's like a space pirate who's who just is. He's Mr. untrustworthy. He's a con man who's Mister Charisma. And, and Billy D. Williams is the guy you get as a con. Man. No, he's like he's, he's like he's the guy smooth, you smooth operator man. <sighs> no, he's like that Sade song. I got I got the yeah. reference. Smooth. I also think that Childish Gambino was a terrible. He was so great. Too. No, he wasn't. So he was terrible. Ugh. We, uh, we're, mm. We'll take this off air. Three hours and nearly six beers later, the argument finally subsided. So how many? Let's go through and see how many fingers we gave each nominee. Okay, so coming in last is Tess. Well, we did not. We abstained. With a zero. We abstained. That's yeah. No, no score. No no contest there. No score for the rapist. So the actual last place who got a score, he, they're, they're a DNF. Yes. Tess. Uh, the last scoring uh, place goes to Ordinary People, the actual winner of okay. this year's Oscar. With two fingers. Two fingers. Then uh, tied above... That movie with three fingers apiece is Raging Bull and the Elephant Man. And then... 
we have a tie for second here between Coal Miner's Daughter and The Empire Strikes Back. And there's a one movie that sits on top of the heap with five fingers. The perfect score goes to The, the Shining. Shining. Sorry, Cassie. Yeah. I know Cassie, our guest from last week, was really not into this movie. Yeah. But, you know, we've put it through the metric and it's science. So um, you it, can't argue science. It hits all the marks, begrudging uh, as it may be. It's It's got all the things necessary to be a best picture. It does. You know. Empire doesn't, unfortunately. I had to be impartial, even though I love the movie. And uh, Coal Miner's Daughter fell a little short. Uh, you know what, though? Very respectable uh, underdog performance by Coal Miner's Daughter, I think. I, I'm not even sure that people really felt it was a, a legit contender, even in 1981. Yeah. Uh, but it is, uh, it is a, a peach of a movie, and uh, definitely worth a the peach. watch. It's a peach. It's a peach, peach. of a movie. Uh, so, you know, people at the Academy, um, that are listening, walk over to, uh, Robert Redford's cubicle, take that Oscar off of his desk and go over and hand it to the late, great Stanley Kubrick for The Shining. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Stanley Kubrick, uh, never received. Kubrick or Kubrick? Kubrick. Kubrick? Kubrick? Kubrick. 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 Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Gotcha. Kubrick. Uh, Never received an Oscar, I don't believe. Uh, You know, he was was one of those that uh, the Academy did not love. I think all his movies, except for Eyes Wide Shut, are fantastic. (laughs) Eyes Wide Shut is god-awful movie. Eyes Wide Shut is terrible. But I think all his other movies are fantastic. But, yes, uh, his moon landing was great. Um, You know... (laughs) 2001 Space Odyssey is is a fantastic movie, Clockwork Orange. Uh, his entire catalog is fantastic, and I, I th- he's one of those that just the Academy did not get. Well, he was one of those movie one of those movie guys that also pitched the envelope a lot too. He did, and he carved a lot of um, new paths in filmmaking. You know, before Star Wars became the ultimate sci-fi film. Uh, his 2001 A Space Odyssey broke a ton of ground in advancing the sci-fi genre and the way it was shot and the special effects and everything. It, it's a revolutionary film. Uh, the Shining is not as revolutionary, but still maintains its place in pop culture and as an incredibly influential film on future filmmakers. So congratulations to The Shining and Stanley Kubrick. Yes, we are giving him a Academy Award. Yeah. If the Academy didn't give it to you, we're, we're, we're going to write that wrong. And we're going to go change the Wikipedia yep. right now. Yep. Stanley Kubrick won 1981's Best Picture with The Shining. All right. So I think it's time for us to <clears throat> do we end the episode here. Is that what we do, Corey? I think we're done. Yeah. I think that okay. completes the uh, the episode. We've, uh, we've been through our metric. We've switched the envelope. We've bitched a lot about, <clears throat> what is it? Uh, movies. Movies. Lots of movies. Um, some of the bitching is going to be edited out, but <laughs> yeah, you won't hear the full extent of, of our argument. I'm sure. Just know that we bitched a lot about Star Wars and Ascent of a Woman. Yeah, just know that uh, when we recorded this, uh, right now I'm looking at the time and it's about three hours. So yes. we'll cut out probably about seventy five minutes of that. We're cutting this down to forty five minutes. So, <laughs> all right. So there's only one thing left to do, Jeff. There is only one thing left to do. And that is dedicate this podcast. We're dedicating this podcast, although it's all up to you now. It is. I've uh, I've chosen a, a worthy actor 
Okay, because we're not doing Sam anymore. No, nope. we've retired. Sam Elliott. We've retired Sam Elliott. He got an entire season dedicated to him. Yep. So we've moved on. We're trying to find that next sweet spot, right? Who Who is our 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 new dedication? Oh, Chevy well, Chase. Last episode was Martin Short, but Martin Short didn't do any movies in 1980. Okay. So he played a big part then. Huge, huge part. I believe he's last build. Awesome. Uh, he immortalized the character of the salesman in the Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange classic movie, The Postman Always Rings Twice. That's right. Today's episode is dedicated to the one, the only, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, yeah. Doc Brown. Yeah, Not yet. He's not Doc Brown yet. He's just the salesman. Yeah. <laughs> but he was in Taxi. He was. I believe he was He was currently at, he was in, in Taxi, taxi during awesome. this time. Yeah. He played a, I mean, he was a drug addict in Taxi, right? He was a maniac in Taxi. <laughs> yeah, with your with your favorite comedian, Andy Kaufman. Andy yeah. Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a couple seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We are Jeff and Corey of the Switch and <laughs> Switch the Envelope podcast. Jeff and Corey in the morning. <laughs> so we're like Kelly and Ryan, right? That's what they. That's what, I keep on wanting to say Regis and Kelly. Does but. that make me Kelly Ripa? Yeah, Damn I'll be it. Ryan. I think that's worse. She's got great teeth, though. She's got great teeth. She does. But uh, please follow us on Instagram or uh, Twitter. Yep. Instagram is at Switch the Envelope. Twitter is at Switch Envelope. If you don't want to, we don't care. <laughs> if you if you do, follow us along. We love or, you. <laughs> <laughs> or subscribe to us. And uh, whatever, you know. Yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, tune in wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. We'll see you at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs>